Yes, we're beginning a, a new series this morning, which I've called Through Ordinary Means. Uh, we give um, plenty of attention uh, these days uh, to our uh, physical health, and that's not a bad thing. Uh, we know uh, we need to be active uh, for its good, uh, for our well-being. Uh, lots of people run uh, as, a, as a way to exercise. Stormont is always full of runners. Uh, 5K runs and couch to 5Ks, uh, they seem to be advertised everywhere. I mean, there's a marathon on at this very moment. Isn't that right? Sadly, they've switched it to a Sunday, but the point's the same. Uh, we know that exercise is good for us uh, physically and mentally. But there is more to us than that. What about our spiritual health? If uh, you were to have a, a checkup, an MOT, if you were uh, to, to diagnose that, uh, how does it look? Firstly, and and most vitally, do you have a pulse? Have you come alive? Have you been made spiritually alive in Christ? Have you repented and believed the gospel? Have you been converted? People, uh, perhaps uh, you are with us this morning, uh, and under the sound of his word, God will reveal to you that you are not right before him. Or to put it another way, That you don't know Jesus. Don't delay. Don't delay in trusting in Christ and turning from your own way. This is is no lifestyle choice. This is serious. Uh, This is life or death. But after the matter of life or death, after finding our spiritual pulse, uh, we then must go on to ask, how is our spiritual health? Do you see evidence that that God is at work in your life? Uh, The Bible calls that fruit. Only trees that are alive produce fruit or grow. Uh, Is there any vitality, any get up and go about your your Christian walk? Do you have a sense of joy in in your salvation or do you sense lethargy? Do you know uh, the Lord better than you did last year? Are you growing? How is your spiritual vision and your your attitude about going forward? Do, Do you want to grow spiritually? The answer should be yes, of course. We know that. But but rather rather than be overcome with with guilt, leading us to to throw in the towel completely, the question leads us on to another one. How do I? How do I? Uh, We know that salvation is a a, a work of God's grace, uh, an act of his goodness. Uh, It's his work from start to finish because dead things can't come to life themselves. But how do we go on? How do we grow? We know that Paul says in Galatians that if we're born again in the first place by the Spirit of God, if it was an act of God, then how can we expect to go on in the power of the flesh? So growing, it's, it's a work of God. But, but you're always telling us, Richard, that we don't just sit passively by, watching on. So what are we to do? How how do we move forward? How do we access God's goodness, uh, his life-changing power, his power to live? How do we have more victory over sin, a closer walk with God? As uh, Ray Ortland, who's a pastor in the States, puts it, how do I, as a believer, access the grace of the Lord for my many needs? 
Where do I go? What, what do I do to connect with the real help he gives to sinners and sufferers here in this world? I know I'm saved by his grace alone, but Jesus said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and, and I will give you rest. I believe that. I want that. But at a practical level, how do I come to him for his grace? Well, the short answer is that God works in us through ordinary means. And the through word is important. He he grows us. He he works by his grace, but he does it through means. It's it's God at work, but, but he does it by ways and means. These means are ordinary because... They are how God works in in the normative sense. Uh, We're not talking uh, one-off or or mystical or out-of-body experiences, but the way God works all the time, every day. We're not going to limit him. Um, Of course, uh, John 3 tells us that the the wind of his spirit blows where it wishes. But, But we're talking normative. We're talking usual. And because God works through them, they aren't ordinary in the sense that the one working through them is a is an all-powerful and supernatural god as ray ortland goes on to say god causes the ordinary means of his grace to make an extraordinary impact on many people that's what we're talking about that's the short answer but the long answer is going to take us four or five sermons to get through In a series this morning that we're beginning, as I said, that we're calling Through Ordinary Means, Uh, God works in us through these means. We access his goodness uh, through what he has given us. And since the time of the Reformation, uh, the Reformers have talked about the ordinary means of grace. And we're going to look at these over the next number of weeks. Today we're considering uh, the Word of God, uh, the Bible. It's, it's the first vital means of grace that God works in us through. Let's read the Word of God in Psalm 19. Will you turn with me there? Psalm 19. And this is what God says. To the choir master, a psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber. Like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the ends of the heavens and its circuit to the ends of them and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More desired, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? 
Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Firstly, this morning, it's the word communicated. Journey with me uh, to something of a museum now, back uh, to the days of pen and paper and envelopes and stamps. I'm sure you know what those things were that we used back in the day. But when I was five, uh, my family emigrated for a while to Perth in Western Australia. And we lived in this bungalow uh, with a sandy garden. And I remember our mailbox stood on a pole uh, in the garden out the front of the house at the edge of the drive, as they all do uh, in that part of the world. And we would, as young children, uh, get excited as the postman came up on his moped at great speed. And without getting off his motorcycle, he would get the contents of his hand into the box and drive on. We would rush down to be the first to get hold of uh, what was in the box, what he delivered. We would always anticipate uh, the arrival of the next airmail letter. We would know the type of envelope that that came in. We knew the color. We knew what it looked like. And we would get very excited. But why? Why get excited about some ink and some squiggles on a mere piece of paper in a box in the garden? The answer is that it's not the ink on the page or the piece of paper, but the one who sent it. That this was a letter from Granny and Granda back home in Northern Ireland. Uh, The thing that made this collection of lines and dots and curves on a page so precious was, was not what it is, but who it was from. It was a communication from home. And God's word is is, is not just ink on the page. This is no ordinary book. This is communication from God himself. These words are are not just what God did say, but as uh, the book of Hebrews uh, and and other places uh, make clear, these are also what God is saying to us now. These are the words. They represent the very person and presence of God immediately to us. How you treat the word of God is how you treat him. So that makes this no ordinary book. But this is his ordinary means of of working by his grace. God speaks. He speaks to Adam. He he speaks to Abraham. He speaks to Moses. He spoke in a, a supreme way in the person of Jesus. And he speaks to us. Yes, in verse 1 of Psalm 19, uh, the the heavens declare uh, the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Beautiful things in nature speak of God. Uh, The sight uh, from a high mountain, the the stars in a clear night sky, the, the sea on a hot day. Beautiful. Yes, all of us living in the world know rightly that there is a God. There's enough to know that there is a God in nature, in the created world. Uh, We we have to really suppress at hard to come to any other false conclusion. Romans 1 makes this clear. Speaking of the ungodly, the pagan. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. 
For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. The visible world is like a mirror that reflects the glory of its creator, of God himself. It's enough to know that there is a him, but that that is not enough to, 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 to know him, certainly not as we need to. No, you need God to reveal himself for that. You need him to communicate with words. Uh, and, he did, and he has decided to reveal himself in words in his word in the Bible. These are not just words. These are God's words. This is communication from God. Yes, the Bible is a human book uh, with human authors too, but was written in such a way uh, that, that it was superintended by the Holy Spirit so that these words are at the very same time God's words. Second Timothy 3.16 makes this clear. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. We could talk about the inspired word of God, but, but actually the word expired is probably closer. It's breathed out by the Holy Spirit. And that it's... Uh, It's that word that verse 7 to 11 is all about in Psalm 19. In the Psalms, uh, we we think particularly of Psalm 119 here as well, but in the Psalms there are quite a number of words used to refer to God's word. We have law, testimony, precepts, commandments, that there are more, but but all four of these are used in verse 7 and 8. God's word is powerful. It's limitless in power. He speaks and and nothing becomes something. Uh, We we know this from the creation account in Genesis 1. Paul uh, compares God's word to a sword. And and it's it's what makes dead things come to life. It's, it's, It's that old word quickening. It's powerful. It's perfect. God's word is perfect. It's exactly what we need. It's, it's without error. It's complete. It's, it's everything we need for life and godliness. It's, it's right and true. It comes from a God who, who knows all things and who cannot lie. It comes from a God who didn't just make them right and true, but is the very standard of righteousness and truth. God's word is also precious. It's more to be desired, verse 10 says, than gold. All those African mines that many have killed to get access to. That gold ring that you got from your mother or grandmother. It's more precious than that. William Tyndale got this. He, he was my favorite by far in our series of characters in church history. You probably know that by now. I've been going on about him that much. But he thinks God's word is so precious that to get it into the hands of, of the people in their own language, that like a rabid dog, he, he, he won't let go of it. He keeps on going. He keeps on battling away at great cost. The Pope and the King of England, uh, King Henry, they say, you know, we're banning it. And he, he, he just won't listen to them. They lock him up and it's freezing and damp and he still wants to finish his Old Testament in English. I think of him when I feel like putting the light out and going to sleep when I'm tired and haven't read God's word yet. 
some, uh, so we, we said at the beginning that we're looking for something uh, to refresh and revive our weary souls, uh, to pick us up and, and drive us on. We're looking for something to teach us about God, something to bring joy to our hearts. We're looking for something to, to light up our eyes and give us spiritual vision and vigor for the days ahead. Well, that's exactly what verse 7 and 8 speak of, isn't it? Look at it with me. For it's the word of God that's, that's perfect. That reviving, revitalizing, you could put there, the soul. It is his word that, that makes the simple, uh, the wise the simple and, and teaches us about him in verse 7. It's, it's the word of God in verse 8 that, that rejoices the heart. Because it's, it's truth. His precepts are right. It's his word that enlightens the eyes. That gives vision. Sounds, sounds just like what we need, doesn't it? Sounds like we've come to the right place. Sounds like we're looking in the right place. The word communicated. But how does it work, you say? How does it work? Secondly, we look at the word understood. We move on to it. I mean, do you just read and it, and it, and it works uh, like, like magic words? Is, is that how it works? Is, is it powerful like that? Does it work like that? You know, picking, picking a random verse in the Bible, is that, is that how you do it? Picking a random verse in the Bible can get you into all sorts of trouble. Like uh, the woman uh, who had just uh, been offered a, a position as a, as a teacher in a school for the first time after college, and she was in two minds whether or not to accept it. And she read randomly Matthew 23, verse 10. And don't let anyone call you teacher, for you have only one teacher, the Messiah. And get you into all sorts of trouble. Can we just open our Bible and pick the first thing that comes to us, and the words instantly zap us and energize us, and, and, and it's a straight hit of joy, just when you need it? Is that how it works? No. That's, that's, that sounds like abracadabra. That sounds pagan to me. I, 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 I'm fairly sure that's, that, that's pagan. This is no magic book. It's not that sort of book. It's, it's, it's not as you like it either, saying what you want it to. Imagine with me that we get a letter from the Queen, which um, I have the task of reading out at the midweek meeting. And it says this. Dear Dundonald Baptist Church, I would be delighted if you would join me as your church family for afternoon tea on my next visit to Hillsborough Castle on the 25th of June. Yours faithfully, Elizabeth Regina. And there's great excitement at the midweek and, and everyone's talking. And, and after the meeting, those that are present at the midweek begin to share the news with others who weren't there. Some relay the letter like this. The Queen is coming to Hillsborough Castle in June. Others tell it like this. The Queen is inviting people in Northern Ireland to have afternoon tea with her. Some others uh, are not so concerned with the historical details, and they say, the Queen is very sympathetic with the Baptist people of Dundonald. And you see... Everyone has given a different spin on the message. Most of it's true, probably all of it, but, but much of it is somewhat misses the point. 
doesn't it? Everyone has given their take based on their own ideas or, or whatever. But that is not how you handle a carefully written message. This book is, is not uh, the yellow pages that you can cut up into individual words and rearrange it and make it say whatever you want, like they used to in a, in a kind of bygone era to hide your identity or something. No, no, you, you, you can't handle God's word like that. It's not as you like it. No, it's, it's there, uh, and it's there in a certain place and in a certain context. Uh, it's there with, with author's intention, very important. It's there in, in, in its place as part of, of, of one storyline of the Bible. If it's, if it's a certain genre, if it's poetry, you handle it like poetry. If it's, if it's narrative, you handle it like history. Now, that's not to say for a moment that you need to go to Bible college to understand. Not at all. But understanding is God's way. That's how he works. Listen to Psalm 119, verse 130. The unfolding of your words give light. It imparts understanding to the simple. Understanding. The the simple uh, in Psalms and Proverbs. It's it's not someone stupid, uh, but someone easily swayed. But just, um, but but you just can't, you know, sort of pick a random verse and and or or, or read yourself into it, or handle it as you like. That's not what it is. It's 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 also not an instant hit book either. We live in a world uh, that that everything is instant. Pot noodles, credit cards for instant finance, television on demand over the internet. We, we also want instant gratification, don't we? We, we put things on, on Facebook or Instagram and, and we want instant likes or we're on a diner. It's almost like the hit of a drug. And because we, we live like that, when we come to the Bible, that impacts how we come to it too. Have you ever, I wonder, have you ever picked up a, a new book on your shelf and you read a few pages and... And you think, I'm not getting much out of that. Uh, and you set it back down again. I wonder, have you ever picked up your Bible, uh, read a few verses and thought, no, I'm not getting much out of that, uh, and set it back down again. But look at verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. It, it, redeemer. It's, it, it's not a quick hit. It's not that sort of book. No, meditation of my heart means it's a book you need to spend time in, that you need to pour over, that you need to look at again and again and again, like a beautiful multi-sided diamond. Meditation has, has um, modern connotations that are probably not very helpful. Uh, you're probably thinking about sitting in a, in a yoga position with your mind emptied or something. No, no, this is not your mind emptied. This is your mind felt. Filled with, with God's word, which make us wise. No, you don't need to find yourself by going to Nepal or somewhere. No, you need to look outside of yourself. You need, you need God. Not some 
God of your own imagination or making, but the one true God as he reveals himself in this book. Verse 7 says that God's word makes the simple wise. It takes the one who could waver into folly or into wisdom and it sets them on the right path. That's what that means. The, The way of wisdom. Wise in knowledge. Wise in what God is like. Wise in how to live as a result. It's not abracadabra. It's about understanding. Paul tells the Corinthians that those obsessed with tongues, that it's not unintelligible speech in church that you need. It has to be interpreted or you can forget about it because it has to be understood. It has to be understood. God never acts to, to edify the, the, the Christian believer by bypassing the mind, by, I don't know, osmosis or some other feeling or shudder in the spine with the mind completely suspended. No, he doesn't do that. He never, he never saves anyone without truth being understood in the mind. It's, it's always intelligible in church, in his word, understanding what God is saying. Mind in check, mind in gear. Never, ever some mindless, mystical experience, some pagan-sounding ritual of, of, of matter over mind, some shortcut to a spiritual high outside of growing in the knowledge and love of him as he reveals himself in the Bible. We are people of the book. We're not mystics. If you hear someone talking like that, In church, you run a mile. No, we cannot expect some experiential warm glue in our stomach as the way God's going to grow us. Some emotional experience. Mindlessness is the mark of paganism. With God, it's truth understood. Feelings are important. But what God says is much more important. It's not instant. It's, it's slow because it's about understanding. Uh, it's, it's a grower. It, it, I sometimes look at a passage maybe 20 times before I see how it fits uh, with the rest of the passages around it as I think about other passages in this one united book. You say, I haven't got the time. But I think we do. We just spend it elsewhere. If we found a, a gold mine in our, in our back garden, I think we'd find time to mine, it, to mine it. And this is more precious, more powerful, more perfect. Finally, we move on to the word lived out. This is not a mere textbook on Christianity or God. This is, this is a book that's actually alive. And it's relational. That's where Jesus comes in. For to know Jesus is to know the word of God. The word of God inspired and the word of God incarnate. Jesus are connected. For he's the one that John calls the word. That's why the writer to the Hebrews says right from the offset, right from the very first couple of verses, long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son. 
You see, to know Jesus is to know God's revelation of himself. For the Bible is God's testimony to Jesus. And every text in the Bible relates to Jesus and his gospel. To know Jesus is to be refreshed and revived. Peter's preaching in Acts 3, uh, the temple at Solomon's porch, and he says this, Repent therefore and turn back, and that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. It's about Jesus. To know Jesus is to have joy in your heart, for he's the great joy giver. Christian joy, not, not temporary happiness. To know Jesus is to know God. For he says, that, you know, if, you, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Uh, to know me is to know the Father. This is not a textbook that means that you can learn to answer questions or debate with other Christians on matters of doctrine. Those are false motives. We should nip those in the bud right away. But, but to want to know God... And, to, and to, to want to love him more, that's something to, 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 to nurture, to live for. No, this is a word that must be worked out, trained in, exercised in, lived out. Just like when you begin that long road from the couch to 5K. There's no quick fix to health. You say, I'm not a reader. But God gave us a book. He gave us a book. If we want to be well spiritually, and God's word says uh, in 1 Timothy 4, verse 7, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. God's word is a, is a means to be well spiritually, to grow the way we should. Uh, we read God's word to know him better. Uh, we read it with prayerful desire and, and expectation to meet him in his word. That's, he's, 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 he's with us in that way. And, and we receive his word by faith. And we trust him in this. And we do as it says. Listen to verse 11. Moreover, by them your servant is, is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. And we engage with it. This is not the lights are on, but no one's home. We cannot expect God to work in us by his grace if there's nothing happening below the hood. You know that phrase? There has to be something going on below the bonnet. We have to be engaged. The word of God coming to it, it's not like a vending machine. You put your coin in and it works. It doesn't discriminate. It's not worried if, you're, if you look like this, look like that. It doesn't matter what way you come to the vending machine. It doesn't matter if you're interested. No, you put the money in and you get your bag of crisps. Works anyway. No, no you, have to, you have to engage with God's word. 
It's, 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 it's not the, uh, the, the Eucharist that, that works, no matter if your heart is in it or not. Uh, the, the holy wafer, uh, that, that no matter if your spirit's unconscious, it still is God's grace imparted to you. No, it's not like that. It's, it's, not, it's not baptism that, that regenerates and brings salvation, uh, even if the person is a matter of weeks old and hasn't a clue what's happening. It's not that. It's not words that we merely recite as, as magic words. No, we have to be engaged. We have to be there. We have to want to grow. If you want your soul refreshed and revived, if you want to know God better, if you want to have joy in your heart, if you want to see things more clearly, you need the word of God. For that is how he works in us. Through ordinary means. I didn't tell you anything you didn't know. But it's so necessary to remind ourselves, isn't it? We need to meet him in his word. Let's bow our heads together in a word of prayer. Thank you for your word, Heavenly Father, that has been preserved down through the generations, that's been kept, even though some tried to destroy it, It's been translated into a language that we can understand and has been translated for languages right across our world. Help us, Father, to treat it right, to rightly handle your word, to meet you in it as we engage with it. Give us grace for this and for every hurdle that we face. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.